And last week in our series in the Gospel of John, we visited those famous words, in the beginning was the Word. Words that took us before Genesis 1-1 to a place in timeless eternity where God, the three in one, resides. From there, God created all that there is, including man. Not only he created, but he proceeded to communicate with man. And ultimately, the Word himself became incarnate in Jesus. He is the light and the life that was coming into the world of darkness. More than that, he is the one that sacrificed himself in order to bring the light. So this morning we continue in this first chapter of John, which is the the prologue to the rest of the Gospel. And and many of the statements that he continues to, to make here are obviously going to be unwrapped later on. But we cover, we touch on some of the major themes, some of the expressions in this God's marvellous word, the Gospel of John. So first of all, let's look at the witness in verses 6 to 9. There was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It is because the true light was coming into the world that preparations were made in the form of John. Not the writer, not John the writer of this gospel, but another John, John the Baptist. He is, John the Baptist is the only person in history of whom it is said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit even while he was still in his mother's womb, which is quite extraordinary. His birth was miraculous. His parents were old. They obviously tried for many, many years and decades to conceive. But God withheld until nothing but a miracle would do it. And God sent John in fulfilment of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Isaiah tells us. Prepare the way For the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And then in Malachi, Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. So John the Baptist was a bit like a, like a bulldozer when you have a land clearing. You know, he just went out there and prepared the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist was a very prominent individual in his time. Many came to hear him preach, even though his message was not you know, the, the softly, softly approach that we, we like so much these days. 
He was hardcore. His call was to repentance because judgment was coming. He was respected even by the king, King Herod, who liked to listen to him. Mark tells us that people from all over Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptised by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And so because of his personality, because of his character, many started to follow John and even opened themselves up to the possibility that this could have been the actually being the promised Messiah. Something else to, to ponder here is that we don't get introduced to John as the Baptist or the baptizer, but here it is John the witness. This is because John came as a witness to the light that all men might put their trust in him, in him, in Jesus, not, not in John. So it is clear from Scripture that John's mission His main mission, and we could even say his one mission, was to preach Jesus Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, made tents in order to support himself, his mission. And I'm sure Paul would have made good tents and even could have even started his own franchise called Paul's Tent Warehouse. But this was only a means to his greatest mission in life, which was to preach Christ crucified. Even as he lay in prison, as we saw in the movie. The one who created light, the one who made light, the very true light was coming into the world. And this was the real deal. He was the true light, the genuine light, as opposed to a phony light, a, a counterfeit light. It was the true light in every sense of the word, but not everybody was happy to see the light. Unlike our friends in the Arctic Circle who were already missing the light and were welcoming the light and were wanting the light to, to turn up, this, this light was, was so powerful that when it shines on something, it exposes, it reveals, it makes it visible. And when the light appears, it, makes, it exposes the corruption, it exposes the evil deeds It's more powerful than x-ray. It's more powerful than anything that the world had ever seen before. This light could read men's thoughts. And intentions. Have you ever had one of those ultrasound machines and as you lay there, through the scan and all of that, just wondered, I wonder if they could read my thoughts. Wouldn't that be scary? Thank God it's just the the bones and the tissue and all that stuff, right? 
This is why this light was so powerful, so threatening to many. And many reacted like those cockroaches. You know what I'm talking about, right? You turn the light on in the kitchen, there's cockroaches everywhere. Honey, we've got a, a, a pest infestation here. You know, we've got cockroaches everywhere. It's like that. They run for cover. Men ran to hide their evil deeds. But others welcomed the light, knowing that the light was there for their healing, for their restoration, for their good, for their release from sin. That's why they welcomed the light. So we look at the responses. And there are three main responses we're going to look at this morning in verses 10 to 13. From the Christmas story we read that when Jesus came, he did not have big ads or banners behind the planes or even skywriters and all of that announcing the birth of Jesus. But they did have ample warning over the centuries of who was to come. God told them over and over again, many times, in various ways, Hebrews tells us. And the responses that are revealed in these verses are quite telling. And they are present not just 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time when he came, but they are present in every generation, in every society, in every community, and even in every church. Verse 10, the first response is that Jesus was ignored. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible says, he was in the world, the world was there through him and yet the world didn't even notice. I'm going to show you a video um, of Joshua Bell. He's a concert pianist in the US. He, people pay a lot of money to go and see him in concert halls. He plays extraordinarily expensive instruments. The violin, the violin that he plays here is worth three and a half million dollars. And he plays for 45 minutes. And look at the reaction that he gets. It was an experiment. This is actually an experiment that was done years ago. You might have seen the video, but anyway, have a look at it. It proves a very important point.
seven people stopped to listen and only one of all the crowds actually recognised who he was. Notice the irony. Jesus made the world from the tiniest of molecules to the largest mountain and the oceans and the universe itself and yet the world did not know him. And the world in the Gospel of John is is a key concept It's mentioned many times. He uses it overall in the Gospel. The word world is mentioned 78 times and three times in in this one verse. And the world most times refers to the evil system that is under Satan, the devil, the ruler of this world, he tells us. It is hostile toward Jesus and his followers. And in the human race, you see that there is this uneven divide. It's a great uneven divide in the human race. The great majority, the great majority, has never recognised Jesus for who he really was. When he came the first time, Herod hated him. The scribes ignored him, <clears throat> and we know that there was no room for him in the inn. It was the humble shepherds, the wise men, the the poor, the foreigners who welcome him to earth, the unexpected, simple people of the world recognised him. But everybody else was too busy, too much to do. In reality, nothing has changed. Jesus came into the world he created and the world has no idea who he was. In most cases today, the cause is just plain and simple indifference. People immersed in their own things that don't have time or desire to know Jesus in a personal way. Why? In a saving way. And that's sad. Because that is the reason he came. Unlike Joshua Bell, he wasn't there to entertain the crowds heading to work. He came to die for our sins. The second reason, the second response... to to Jesus, to his coming, is verse 11, Jesus was rejected. Firstly, he was ignored. Secondly, he was rejected. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came, in, in the Message Bible it says, he came to his own people, but they didn't want him. I, in some ways, I wish that ignorance was, was the, the worst of it. But it's not. The tragedy deepens when one sees that Jesus was rejected by his own people. And, and these, these are the people, these are the descendants of, of Jacob, of Israel. 
and that rejection continues in large part of God's chosen people to this very day. The tragedy of sin, the wickedness of the human heart is there for all to see because sin is, is, is irrational. It doesn't make any sense when you know what you are doing is wrong and you still continue to do it. There's no other explanation for the fact of a, that sin is just horrible. It tries to destroy us. It tries to kill us and it's irrational. You still do it even though you know it's wrong. It affects all without privilege, whether it's the world or whether it's God's own chosen people. Think about it. God so loved the world, enough to send his own son to pay for their sins and die on the cross and offer eternal life as a free gift. With all of this, how insane it is for them to scream, get out of here. We don't want you. Please turn off the light. Let me go back to sleep. I love my sin too much that I'm willing to even face eternal judgment rather than receive the right, the gift to become God's child. I don't want it. I don't need it. No, thank you. Two applications from this for us this morning. Firstly, make sure that you're not rejecting the true light. So please do not turn your back on him and reject God's gift of eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've been putting it off and putting it off and you've heard this message many, many times and you continue to reject and and turn your back on God, don't do it. Come to him. Secondly, for those of us who share the gospel with others, don't be surprised and do not take it personally when people do not respond positively to to the witness of Jesus Christ. Most people still love the darkness because their deeds are evil. That's the reason. So don't take it personally. The good news is that not all reject him. Not all reject him. And verses 12 to 13 tells us this. Jesus was accepted by some, verses 12 to 13, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You might have observed that the Bible says a lot about obligations and our responsibilities. And he says very little about rights. Our world flips things around, turns things, particularly this generation now. We talk a lot about rights and very little about obligations and responsibilities. And and the results, as you can see, are self-evident in the world we live in. I know my rights. Ah, but do you know your responsibilities? 
No, I don't want to talk about that. Having said that, here in this very verse is one of those rights that we can rightfully claim as our own. It is not something earned, but something bestowed upon us by our Heavenly Father. This right, this gift is so amazing that it, that it makes all the present sufferings because we're no longer in the garden. All the present sufferings and things that we have to go through, as Paul said, not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. It's not even worth comparing. This right, and there isn't a lot of right, but this right that God has given us is so humongous, so big, so huge, so incredibly precious that even our responsibilities and obligations don't even measure up to the tremendous gift that we have. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about rights, but it simply says, this is who you are now, start living it. In words that we can relate to, he has given us the mansion So don't complain if you have to mow the lawn every now and then. And here comes, here we come to a major theme in this book. The wonderful truth and promise that those who do receive Christ and believe in his name become nothing less than the children of God. He gives us the right, he gives us the authority, he gives us the title, children of God. It's a legitimate claim, a right is a legitimate claim, much like a a birth certificate that proves you are the child of your natural father. Yes, I know that birth certificates can be falsified and there are dodgy birth certificates out there. But not this one, this cannot be falsified. It is sealed, the blood of Jesus. And and quite obviously, to receive Christ is the opposite of ignoring or rejecting him. It means to welcome him into your life. Believing in his name is, is, is more than just an intellectual exercise. You stop relying on your own merits and your own works in order to approach God. And instead you are totally relying on what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And it means that one day when you stand before God, your only hope for heaven before his judgment seat is not your good works, but rather what Jesus has done for you. Do we trust that? Do we trust that? Do we believe that? Do we truly, honestly believe that? I like what C.S. Lewis said on the matter of belief. He says, and I quote, You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It's easy to believe, he says, It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong enough as you are merely using it to tie a box. 
But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it in the first place? Believe you me, the longer you live, this rope is going to be tested time and time again. You would have heard this week of the, the news of Southwest Airlines Flight 1380 where one engine blew up it's, and this airplane only has two engines. So one engine hasn't got a lot of spare, many more spare engines, right? Uh, one engine blew up and debris smashed one window and that is a miracle in itself. It could have smashed the whole side of the plane and, and partially sucked a passenger. This passenger had a seatbelt on and all of that. We did a lot of flying early this year and you pray a lot about, you know, taking off and then landing. But as, you know, the rest of the flight is carrying on and everything else, everybody starts relaxing, starts walking around, whatever. But this happened, mid, you know, mid-flight. Like, out of nowhere. One man said he grabbed his wife's hand and prayed as the oxygen mask dropped down in front of him. A lot of people start praying on planes when emergencies get declared. A lot of people. Everybody's a believer suddenly. And he said, Dear Jesus, send some angels. Well, one of the angels was in the form of the the pilot herself. She She was one of the first pilots in the United States Air Force and she was a Christian and she was actually flying the plane. Passengers feared that they would die as the plane plummeted thousands of metres. Everybody just goes along with life as if nothing happens and then suddenly you get confronted with the reality of eternity. And this is a reminder of how quickly life can take an unexpected turn. Whether it's a plane or whether it's a a spot on an examination, on on a scan, life can take unexpected turns very quickly. Death can come to us at any moment. Let me ask you again, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Have you got that? Have you, got, have you done that? Have you truly believed in his name? And that, that is the most important decision that you can make in this life. More important than who you're going to marry, more important than what career you're going to do, more important than what suburb you're going to live, where you're going to study, all of that. This is the most important question. Have you trusted him? Do you accept him by faith? Or do you ignore him? Or worse still, do you reject him altogether? This is a question for the ages. And finally, the birth of a child of God is not a natural birth. It is the supernatural work 
of God. Just as we had nothing to do with our physical birth, nothing at all, I know, right? Just two cells got together and look at, look at this. From two, two cells, you know, incredible. What went wrong, you know? <laughs> I can't take any credit for it. And you can't either. So, and because you had nothing to do with your physical birth, even though your mum and dad sort of got together and agreed on something, that's what this verse is saying. We had nothing to do with our spiritual birth either. Nothing. We can't take credit for it. We can't boast about it. We can't even boast about our decision, our wise decision to believe in Jesus. It is all a gift of God. And therefore all the glory has to go to him. I hope and pray that God's Holy Spirit is working in your heart, not just affirming and reconfirming these wonderful truths from his word, but if you've never taken that step of giving your life to Christ, that you would seriously do so, even this morning. Let us pray.